Thank you for listening to Temporary Circumstances. I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, a licensed professional clinical counselor in Ohio. In this podcast, we will discuss many uncommon topics on all matters mental health. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to assess, diagnose, or treat a mental illness. For those services, please contact your local mental health provider. Today, we're going to talk about gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria refers to the distress that may accompany the incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's assigned gender. Although not all individuals will experience distress as a result of such incongruence, many are distressed if the desired physical interventions by means of hormones and or surgery are not available. It is most important to know that neither we nor the DSM are saying that gender nonconformity in itself is a mental disorder. However, a strong desire to be the other gender that causes significant distress may indicate a gender dysphoria diagnosis. Gender dysphoria occurs in children, adolescents, and adults. In children, it might look like a marked incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and assigned gender that can be seen in a strong desire to be the other gender or an insistence that one is the other gender, a strong preference for cross-gender roles in make-believe play or fantasy play, a strong preference for toys, games, or activities stereotypically used or engaged in by the other gender, a strong preference for playmates of the other gender, a strong dislike for one's sexual anatomy. Gender dysphoria in adolescents and adults is pretty similar to this. We still look at that incongruence between one's experienced and expressed or expressed gender and assigned gender. With with adolescents and adults, we tend to see a little bit more of a shift and a strong desire to get rid of those primary and or secondary sex characteristics. There is a strong desire to have the sex characteristics of the other gender a strong desire to be of the other gender, as with children, and a strong desire to be treated as the other gender as well. So gender that's different from your assigned one. Gender dysphoria can also happen post-transition. So we do specify if the individual has transitioned to full-time living in the desired gender Uh, and has undergone or is preparing to have at least one procedure or treatment, but is still experiencing these symptoms. We do want to point out that we're aware that the language in the DSM is not leaving space for people who are not living with the duality of a male and female gender, and it doesn't leave space for people who are gender nonconforming. As clinicians, when we are looking at gender dysphoria, we are looking more at whether someone is distressed because of their assigned gender role, not necessarily they're distressed because they're not the other gender role. It is just about your assigned gender role versus what you experience for yourself and the distress that comes with that. 
And we also, we just talked about children, and I think it's important to note, and this does come from the DSM, but it's important to note that often we see these, uh, we see this distress associated with that incongruence starting as early as the first two to three years of childhood. So pretty much as early as children start to see differences in gender, we start to see some of this distress if someone believes um, or is non-conforming with the gender that was assigned to them. In older children, for for children who maybe are appearing to be non-typical as far as those relationships with peers go and seeking out some sex peers. This can lead to isolation from peer groups, and this can lead to distress as well. Some children may refuse to attend school altogether. Um, Of course, this can turn into harassment and bullying or just pressure to dress in a certain way or behave with the assigned gender or sex. So we do want to keep an eye on things like harassment and bullying. In a second, we're going to talk about suicide risk as well. But often in adolescents and adults, this preoccupation with cross-gender wishes does interfere with daily activities for the person. Um, And they could also experience relationship difficulties, including sexual relationship problems, Uh, or they could be dealing with trouble at work or at school. Gender dysphoria, along with atypical gender expression, is associated with high levels of stigmatization, discrimination, and victimization, leading to a negative self-concept, increased risk of mental disorder, comorbidity, school dropout, economic marginalization, including unemployment, especially in individuals from from family of origins with a lower socioeconomic background. In addition, these individuals' access to health services and mental health services may be impeded by structural barriers, such as institutional discomfort or inexperience in working with this patient population. And as I mentioned just a couple moments ago, adolescents and adults with gender dysphoria before gender reassignment are at an increased risk for suicidal ideation attempts and suicides. After gender reassignment, adjustment may vary, but suicide risk may still persist. According to the Recovery Village, up to 50% of people with gender dysphoria attempt suicide. And if you keep in mind factors that we just talked about, you know, that discrimination, victimization, just the discomfort, um, marginalization of of this group of people, it it would make sense that that suicide risk would would be increased. 0.005 to 0.014% of the population for biological males and 0.002 to 0.003% for biological females. We do want to pause here and say that the fifth edition of the DSM is starting to get a little bit old. There's a revision coming out in 2022, and I think some of these statistics will be different at that point. And another important thing to consider regarding prevalence of transgender people is a sociological risk associated with this disclosure. 
fear of repercussion may prevent many gender dysphoria people from disclosing their status, which may mean that the prevalence of people with gender dysphoria is higher than we currently have information about. And again, according to the Recovery Village, 26% of people with gender dysphoria also have substance abuse concerns. And while some people with gender dysphoria do not undergo gender reassignment surgery, approximately 25 to 30% decide to surgically transition. The procedures undergone vary from person to person and depending on the specific physical features that may trigger that dysphoria. Treatment for gender dysphoria includes support groups, individual therapy, peer support is also available. Gender dysphoria treatment can consist of a variety of modalities. Some people may decide that they need a place to talk about their thoughts, feelings, and the impact of gender dysphoria. Others may seek a plan for hormonal therapy, lifestyle changes, and sexual reassignment surgery. Okay, everyone. Well, I think this about wraps up our episode as well as season three. This is actually the final episode of Temporary Circumstances, so we do not plan on returning for more episodes at this time. But we do hope that you enjoyed the show, and if this happens to be the first episode you listen to, then please scroll down and check out the rest.